Recovery Elevator, episode 390. And I didn't see see how people saw me. I just always thought they were the problem. Uh, like this? Yeah, that should work. Mix down. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Yo, yo. Mix down. Three, four. Yo, yo. Wiki, wiki. Three, Mix four, down. There we go. Seven, eight. Wiki, wiki. Mix down. Guys in the house. I love it. Wiki wiki mix down. There we go. Three, four. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. I'm so excited to be here with you today. On today's episode, we have Jess. She's 37 years old from Ontario, Canada, and took her last drink on May 7th, 2022. Great job, Jess. I want to say thank you to my sober sidekick named Dusty. A good friend of mine quit drinking shortly after I did, and I'm so thankful to walk this path with him. Dusty has been on this podcast twice, episode 206 and 300, and those are both fantastic episodes. And y'all want to hear something cool. In less than three weeks, I'm going to be the officiate at Dusty's wedding. Dusty, I'm honored to be part of this special day. And if you're coming to the Bozeman retreat this week, you're going to meet Dusty in person. The welcoming social is at the Dusty Saloon, run by the legend himself, Dusty, and a couple other sober barbacks. So Dusty, thank you for all your help, your support, and thank you for believing in me. Listeners, this week is our annual retreat in Bozeman, Montana. I'm excited. Some of our staff are flying in today, and everybody else gets here on Wednesday. This is going to be a fantastic week. This is a message to those who are registered. Get on the plane, get in the car, and make it here. Keep that Bruno voice in check. Do whatever you need to do to get your butt here. It's going to be a fantastic time. Okay, let's talk DTB mindfulness. Our Ditching the Booze mindfulness course starts Tuesday, September 20th for six weeks. Times are Tuesday nights at 8.30 p.m. Eastern for 75 minutes. This course, taught by Patrick Foley, will focus on the practice of mindfulness and carving out space between the craving and the drink. The course follows the text, Peace is Every Step, The Path to Mindfulness in Everyday Life by Thich Nhat Hanh. Readings and practices are assigned each week. The goal is to examine our mind as we work towards freedom from alcohol. This course is included with Cafe RE membership and is for Cafe RE members only. Link is in the show notes to join. Thank you, Liz. All right, let's hear from Recovery Fit. Let's hear from Paul, owner of Lapine Fitness Studio in Brooklyn, New York. What I love about Recovery Fit is that it filters through all of the fitness nonsense on the internet to give you a practical approach to training that will keep you looking good, feeling good, and most importantly, strong enough to stay away from alcohol. Recovery Fit's program includes work with a registered dietitian to help you finally get off the diet roller coaster and to address any disordered eating patterns. This program is founded by one of our very own Cafe RE members. When I was training for my marathon last year, I reached out to Paul, who's the founder of Recovery Fit, and he created a great program that helped me get those miles in while also feeling strong and ready for the race. Recovery Fit currently has a few slots available for their remote coaching program. You can book a call at lapinefit, L-A-P-I-N-E fit.com forward slash recovery fit to learn more. You can also message Paul on Instagram at Paul underscore Lapine underscore for all things fitness and sobriety. All righty, let's get started. 
Today, we are going to talk about the secret of change. But before we do that, I want to mention you are going to make it. And in my notes, you are going to make it is in bold and it's highlighted. So listeners, how do I know this? It's clear I don't have a personal relationship with every single listener, but I've been doing RE for about eight years now. And everyone I've encountered who sticks with it, who doesn't quit quitting, who keeps coming back, eventually distances themselves from alcohol. So keep with it. Here at RE, we are right here with you every step of the way. And it doesn't matter if you're on day one right now or however many day ones you've had, you will get this. You are doing it. In fact, the more day ones you have just means the more resilience you have built. Okay, the secret to change. And this comes from a Socrates quote, who is the Greek philosopher who died in 399 BCE, who is generally agreed upon as the father of Western philosophy. Okay, here we go. The secret of change is to focus all your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. This journey is about transformation. It's an invitation to create a life where alcohol is no longer needed. It's about letting part of you go, a big part of you. It's about saying goodbye to the parts of your life that are no longer working, that aren't functioning, that are dysfunctional, that are being propped up by a spirit called ethanol. Let's chat the middle part of that quote, not fighting the old. For many listeners, alcohol has been ruined for you. Maybe I had something to do with that. Your doctor, your liver is saying, fuck you. Who really knows? But eventually, alcohol stops working. It no longer delivers. Alcohol gave us wings, then it took away the sky. It gave us a basketball, then it took away the hoops. It gave us a computer keyboard, and then removed the delete key and all the vowels. Okay, that last metaphor wasn't the best, but you get the point. So fighting the old is a waste. We all do it. Maybe it's a requisite, but you can't fight the old. It doesn't work. You can't fight an addiction because it's a messenger. The addiction is the signpost saying something is way out of balance. Don't shoot the messenger. We've all heard that one. Okay, listeners, I'm going to remix this quote from Socrates, and I'm going to say, go ahead and fight the old until you've reached a new level of desperation, then place all your energies into building the new. We've all heard of the gift of desperation, and in the rooms of 12 Steps, that's common verbiage. So desperation on this journey, yes, is painful, but it isn't a bad thing, and here's why. Desperation leads to surrender, which leads to openness, which leads to willingness, which leads to you saying yes when you previously would have said no, and all of this leads to your new alcohol-free life. Now, is this quote from Socrates a secret? Maybe back then it was, but today not so much. So guys like Rumi, Jesus, the Buddha, Gandhi, MLK, Eckhart Tolle, Abraham Hicks, my neighbor Walt, and there's even a book called The Secret by Rhonda Byrne that talk about this concept. There's a spiritual teacher named Wayne Dyer that says, if you believe it, you'll see it. At this moment, I am at the end of a long list of people who have talked about how to make change or the secret or the key to change. So listeners, I'm a fan of AA. I love AA, in fact. I attend on a regular basis. But sometimes I feel in AA, we get stuck a bit in the old. Cough once, cough twice, character defects. Yes, we need to be aware of our character defects, but I feel a better use of our time is to focus on what we're good at, aka your strengths. Speaking of AA, shout out to Randy R, episode 129 and 358, for hosting our kick-ass Cafe RE AA meetings. 
Same with Craig M., who is a Cafe RE member who has sponsored several Cafe RE members. Okay, listeners, another secret or key to change is to not resist it. When I was 18 years old, this small town kid, me, went to college in Orange County and discovered Del Taco, more specifically, the big fat chicken taco for only $1.99. Three months later, it was off the menu. I wrote a letter to the corporate office pleading that they bring it back. I kid you not. So the big fat chicken taco wasn't coming back ever. Now I knew this because the corporate office did respond to me. Once I finally accepted this is when I found other gems on the Del Taco menu. So change is perhaps the most consistent thing in the world we live in. Begin to embrace it. All of it. Good change. Bad change. None of it is permanent. What's that saying? This too will move on. Nope, hang on. This also shall change. Hang on. Pass shall it will. Now we're closer. This too passes. Nope. This too shall pass on. Got it. I think that's it. Okay, to recap today's episode, place your mental energies into building the new. As Odette has said on this podcast, if a set of thoughts doesn't lead you closer to your ideal alcohol-free life, let them go, find new ones, and begin placing your mental energy in to how you visualize, how you see your alcohol-free life. Listeners, one more thing I want to mention at the end of these episodes, after the outro music, we want to feature your art, your music, your poetry. Show us what you're doing with your creativity now that you've removed alcohol from your life. Send us to info at recoveryelevator.com a song, a poem, whatever you want to do. Make sure it's edited and we'll get it on the end of the podcast. Okay, listeners, hope you enjoyed the intro today. Had a great time putting it together. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Jess. Life can be overwhelming, and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Some symptoms of burnout can include lack of motivation, fatigue, irritability, and more. For me, recovery takes a lot of work, and when I try to do too much at once while also trying to just live my life, I step into the zone of burnout. When we get sober, we want to change many things about our lives, and that's inspiring. However, remember that slow and steady wins the race. If we come out of the gates too intensely, we may burn out. BetterHelp Online Therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life and how you can best navigate it. My therapist has been instrumental in reminding me that I can do it all, but I can't do it all at the same time. Having her perspective has allowed me to be more accountable to myself. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com elevator. That's betterhelp.com slash elevator. Thank you, Paul. And Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Jess. Jess, how the heck are you today? I'm good. How are you? Besides my dog going absolutely bananas in the background, I'm doing really well. My wife will take care of him. What a solid start from, from your host. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on. I appreciate you reaching out. And, and offering to share your story. 
Can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Um, two months today. Yes. Happy two Yay. months. Two months is amazing. Are you going to do anything to celebrate today? Actually, I have um, a glamping camping trip that I booked for my kids and I to go this weekend. So um, it'll be the second time that I've gone sober. So it's, I'm really excited. That's cool. I love big, big camping guy. I'm up north also. So this time of year, I think it's important to, to get out and enjoy it. And what a, like, what a cool treat. And that's awesome that you've got, you've got a little experience with it too. So you've got some of those sober muscles. Yeah. It was hard to think about it going into, going into it, but once you do it, you, your mind overthinks, and then when you're in it, it's like I can do this. And then after, of course, how great I felt. I was like, I don't have to pack up any of this stuff hungover. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Well, great job on two months, and I think that's a, I think that's just the perfect way to celebrate. Um, mm. Before we get into it, Jess, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Where you're from? What you do for a living? Family, things like that. And then most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Okay, so I am 37. I have two kids. One is eight, one is almost six. So it's my little family. Yeah, they take up a lot of my time. It's a great chunk of my time. I work in accounting, strangely enough, for a rehab um, hospital in a town close by. And I'm from a small town in Ontario. And what I like to do for fun... Now things have changed a little bit, but I like to read. Like I've actually been getting through books instead of, you know, having a couple of glasses of wine and going through like a chapter and not even reading it. Um, so that again, a lot of my time is spent with my kids. So we go camping, anything outside. I like to cook. I recently bought a paddleboard that I love. So that's nice. so much fun. And my dog, I've got a dog. Nice. Uh, <laughs> Two follow-up questions. Uh, what do you like? What do you like to read? Do you have like a favorite genre or thing that you're into? Um, lately, it's been like well, I like documentaries; they're pretty good. And then I have like I just started this thriller suspense, which I've never really read before, and it's pretty good. And second follow-up: if you could cook one meal, like what's it? Do you have a signature meal? Oh God, pork! Car- I guess like carnitas. Those mm. are pretty good. I love to cook all food. I like to eat all food too. So that's good. (laughs) I share that with you. Well, thank you, Jess. All right. Let's do what we came here for. Let's talk about your journey with alcohol. Let's start where you'd like to start. Maybe with, you know, how you're introduced to it. Let's just dig into the relationship. Maybe starting early on how alcohol came into your life. Hmm. Well, alcohol, I guess I came from a family of drinkers, I'd say like growing up, my parents, my dad, my parents had me when, when they were a bit older, but it was always known that my dad didn't drink. And when he did, I think in the past, it was pretty volatile. He was one of those, like, you know, growing up, I think that all happened when he was a lot younger. And my sister, she's 18 years older than me. And she remembers a lot of, uh, a lot of alcohol fueled fights, um, because of that, my mom never really, never really drank. Like I've never seen her, never did see her drink. So again, growing up, my first taste of alcohol, I guess, was just like certain, certain kind of holidays. And my dad would, would get crazy. And that was kind of what I sort of remembered. And then right before the tip against, because there was always that, you know, fun. Okay. He's getting drunk. And then you kind of look, okay, he's having another one, another one. And as it progressed, he started to get 
super not himself and really belligerent and kind of, you know, so, I mean, those memories really, really stuck when I was a kid. And then there was just, again, before the whole chaos kind of thing hit, everybody always just looked like they're having so much fun, right? Mm -hmm. Like this was like, what is this as a kid, you know, like, oh, have a sip of beer. It tasted bad, but like something's got to be, it tastes bad, but like something has to be in this for people to be loving it, you know, as a kid. So I guess that was just that as a, as a little kid. And then, yeah, I guess then it would probably be like 14, 15 when, you know, kids started to experiment, you go to parties and then they'd have it. And then I just remember having my first drunk and then, you know, throwing up, it was like these coolers, but I mean, I still thought it was fun because we're all just acting crazy and just like, I was a bit introverted. So that kind of helped ease things. Yeah. And then my dad had passed away when I was 14. Okay. So I feel like that's when, and it was kind of, well, it was traumatic. It was pretty sudden. And then he had a, like a massive heart attack and then he was in a coma for three weeks. So at 14, and again, going back to my mom, like her and my dad had a really chaotic relationship. I grew up in a lot of turmoil growing up. Like they both fought a lot. And my mom, I think she had undiagnosed mental health issues. And when my dad passed, it was kind of like, now it's just me and my mom. And my mom (laughs) was not the most kindest lady to be around for most of the time. So, and my dad and I, for the most part, were really, really close. So when that happened, my mom kind of, her mental health kind of deteriorated and I was kind of left to my own devices. So, I mean, I, I did really well in school, but then come, you know, the weekends, it would be, you know, I'm really going to do this hard every, and then it started, then she started to work. So I was kind of, she'd work in the evenings and then. I would have parties during the evenings, not really drink. The weeknights really weren't a drinking weeknight, but I was smoking a lot of pot. Like that was a huge thing. So either way I was coping, not healthy coping. That's a a huge loss, especially I think, I think it's normal for, for kids to favor a parent and then to lose the one that you're closer to and like to not only have to, to not only have to deal with the loss of someone you obviously care about and then like all you have left is, is someone else who's, who's going through their own, you know, walking their own journey and, and having their struggles. So, uh, yeah, the, that desire to, to maybe check out or, or, Mm -hmm. or, or numb that a little bit or take away some of that pain. And I mean, 14 is, I don't care if you have a quote unquote normal childhood, like 14, you know, through, through, you know, through high school and stuff, those are, those are your formative years. I think they're tough period but especially just entering that with, with, with a loss like that. Yeah, it was, it was pretty tough. And I came from like, again, my parents were quite much older. So I came from a home where we don't talk about stuff. So like this happened and then, you know, (laughs) what's a good way. It's like all in your head, right? You can't get it out. What's a good way to get this out of my head? Well, I'm just going to drink and really not think about it. And it, it helped, (laughs) like it helped a lot. And my sister, again, she was 18 years older. So she was starting a life. Like she had my nephews at that time. So she was, she was there, but I mean, I didn't, you know, she was living her life. Right. And she would connect with me with my mom and stuff. And she knew what I was going through, but there was only so much, you know, she had to live her life. And I was, it was a really lonely time, I feel like, but again, it was high school and the drinking then, even though it was a lot like during, during, during weekends and stuff, everybody did it. It yeah. was just kind of like a thing, like, oh, you're going to this party, you're going to get super drunk. Yeah. You know, you're going to smoke weed. Everybody did it. 
Mm-hmm. But at one point, I probably about a year after I was kind of doing the weekend hard stuff and then like drinking. And then during the week, I'd smoke a lot of pot and then I just wouldn't wake up to go to school. So my mom kind of got concerned. And then my sister kind of ambushed me one day with this like rehab pamphlet. And I was like, they woke me up and I was like, I just don't want to go to school. I'm going to go in late, you know, whatever. And my my sister's like, no, you're coming with me for the weekend. We're going to chat about this. So she was kind of there for me. And then I just like, I think he kind of scared me. And I was like, okay, I got to get my shit together. (laughs) And I'm not going to do this anymore. And I just maybe too felt like I had someone, like I actually felt like someone was there for me, I think too. Right. So I knew I, where I didn't really have that before. Maybe I shouldn't be putting my family through this hell. So I kind of stopped slow down I'd say from there yeah that was probably like my teenage teenage kind of stuff yeah you know I think yeah even that I don't know I don't know if negative negative attention but yeah I can feel I can that resonates with me as well just like knowing that that somebody cares you know the fact that that they noticed that you were going through it maybe that's not not the healthiest way to receive the attention but like yeah it's okay like you do see me yeah yeah Go like going past like beyond high school. What um what did it what did drinking look like after that? So after that high school, then I was like in my twenties. I went to college, and it started to be again. I was with my mom, who was super not a nice person, and again, still my home life was pretty pretty crappy. Um, so I was drinking, and then I'd start to pick do it like sort of on the weeknights. But I always thought, okay, I could do this too. Like, I mean. I'm older now, you know, like I could, I could manage everything. I could manage going to school and then after school. And then I kind of stuck Then the hangovers. I, I was never one. And I don't know, it, it always boggled my mind for people who drank a ton and had these like non-existent hangovers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like I had always had really bad hangovers. Like, I mean, to the point where I, you know, people can get up and still function with a hangover. I would be like, screw this. I'm just going to sleep through half the day. Mm-hmm. And I would kind of miss school and I was kind of, I passed, I passed, like I did something completely different than what I'm doing now. I passed, but then again, I was, I, that was kind of like, okay, I passed. I did that even though like I, I made it through so I can handle it. I could do this. Like, but looking back, I'm like, that was bad. Like I really, I shouldn't have passed. Like there was so much lying. Like I remember one time I like, I just like, didn't show up for two days. And I remember saying like my uncle had passed away just to get out of like an exam. And I'm like, looking back on that, like how gross, like, oh my God, like I would never, that's terrible. And like the guilt and the shame and like looking back, like if I hadn't been drinking and doing stuff, I would never like. Yeah. We, we, we normalize so much of this stuff. We, I think we look at our peers and we, we see other people drinking and, and who knows like what they're going through or, or what drinking looks like to them. But I know for me, it was, there was always like an obsession and it's like, I, like I needed to do it. And then, like you said, I think it, it, it can really start to be a problem when we start to have some of that behavior deviation where things that are uncharacteristically us like lying and being deceitful and, and we, you know, we can write those off and normalize it. Like if it doesn't, if it didn't hurt anybody, if I lied about a, a relative passing or or where I was supposed to be, it, okay, it didn't hurt anybody. And di- did you ever feel like that became a little more normal and became easier to do some of the, those sort of things? Like as oh as, yeah, as it progressed. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, like then fast forward a bit. Like I didn't do what I went to school for, but I worked in sort of an administrative thing, and the jobs were kind of like I. 
I knew it wasn't going to be what I was going to do forever kind of thing. So I just like not show up to work for three days. And it was that time, you know, people died all the time. Mm -hmm. People died all the time. I had every illness under the sun and I'd go back and I just became this like actor, like actor. And just like, for what, you know, like, and then, you know, I would just stop going to jobs and looking back and just, it was my twenties were here and there. And I, and I always justify it. Like, Oh, I didn't like that job anyway. Yeah. You know, Did whatever. You, during this time, were you having, were there any, you know, you had mentioned terrible hangovers, which I just, I don't know, like every once in a while I get these flashbacks of hangovers and I just think like, oh, how in the hell did I persist? <laughs> like, If I, I don't know, if I look at, I was looking at photos this past weekend of a time Oh, it was a, a buddy of mine's wedding out in Virginia. And it was like, it was a good time with some friends, but I got so drunk that weekend that like, it was, I was sick for like a week afterwards. And I'm like, how did I, how do you keep drinking? How do people keep drinking after the shit? Um, but anyway, besides the terrible hangovers, were there any other consequences in your life, whether relationships or repercussions at work or, or social, you know, any sort of social repercussions? I mean, like the work thing, I wouldn't say I I would always just quit before I got fired kind of thing. When they started catching on to me. Yeah. yeah. Once they started to catch on, like "Mm, something's up with this girl, you know, like I'd be like, oh, I'm out. Um, Relationships. Like I had a pretty serious relationship from high school. And um, again, we he he could kind of he'd have like four or five beers or drinks and I'd have like, you know, 15 kind of thing. Like he was always he knew when to kind of cut it off. But it started like for those relationships too. Like I would get looking like, again, I would get super, like I'm a super nice person. Most (laughs) I would think I am. And when I would drink and I looking back, it's just like sort of what people would describe my dad used to get, right. Like I'd get Mm -hmm. to a certain point and then I'd be like, someone would say something the wrong way. And I'd be like, like right away, like so reactive, like screw you. Or, you know, my boyfriend would do something and it would just turn into this massive, like shitstorm and we would fight and looking back it would be a lot like it would be real like our, our relationship was like chaotic and looking back it's just like my parents just like my dad and it was just like this generational kind of like my temper would be off the wall during those times and I too looking back like it was almost like all this maybe trauma that was in me and then as soon as I got drunk I just released you know like screw the world ah, you know it was like this monster it was like a monster yeah And I remember my sister saying to me too, then she's like, and there were certain people that I sort of did that with. And there's certain people that I kind of didn't do that with. Like I could go out and have a party. If you didn't piss me off, I was great. But if I was like out with somebody and they really ticked me off that I was close with, for example, my boyfriend or whatever, my sister, I would, and my sister would be like, you know what? you turn into a different person when you drink. And I was like, no, I don't No, Maybe with you, because you pissed me off. And I go with this person, this person, you know, I I'm happy. I'm happy drunk. Like it's only you, it's you that, that pisses me off, you know? And she's, she'd be like, no, when you drink you, you, and she'd be like, you can't, this is what she'd always say. You can't drink Jessica. And I'd be like, that used to piss me off. Yeah. Don't tell me what I can't do. How come? And then you start to think, well, why can't I? Yes, I can. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. kind of thing and i'll i'll have it i'll do it next time and i won't be like that and i'll show people that i'm not that drunk right yeah. do you feel like there was a part of you that was trying to protect the drink like oh like yeah what? this is my thing yeah this is my thing this is mine and it's helping me and i just again i didn't see see how people saw me i just always thought they were the problem 
during those days, did you ever think what it would be like if, like, if you were to quit, like, were, were there, were there ever any ideas of no. maybe, maybe I, no, Mm-mm. I liked it. And then I was like young too. And then my guy that I was dating for a while, we had broken up. So then I was like, I moved in, moved to Toronto, which you probably know it's a big city. And I was, you know, every weekend, you know, I was single, I was doing the, you know, party party. This is fun. This is what girls my age do. And this is, you know, I'm living the dream kind of thing at this age. And, and yeah, that kind of, so I, I lived downtown for about a year and a half and that's basically what the whole, I worked made it through the, and I really didn't drink too, too much during the week. If I did, I didn't get too hungover, over and maybe I missed a day or two or three, I don't know. And then I would party hard on the weekend. And then it got super expensive living in Toronto, as you know, and a bachelor was like super expensive. So I decided to move back home with my mom. (laughs) (laughs) It worked out so well before. Let's give it another crack. Ah, And uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I was still commuting, like I moved back home with my mom. So I was still commuting. So it was an hour and a half day in day out, like morning and night. So, I mean, again, then I didn't really have really time to drink too much during the week weeknights because I get home and I'd be super tired, but then sort of the weekend. And I, I feel like I sort of slowed down a little bit then with my mom living with my mom. And then I met my, well, we're separated now, but my husband boyfriend, then that was late twenties. Yeah. So that's when I met him. And then I think I was with my mom for about, I'd say about like six months and, and him and I were together and we really hit it off. Well, we actually went to high school together. So we sort of recon, no, sorry. We, we knew friends from high school and then we sort of reconnected. We saw each other at parties and stuff like that. So we knew each other from like, Hey, you're the guy that we saw getting drunk, you know? So it was like, we started off still like you like to party. Oh, great. The weekends I love to too, whatever. We, we hit it off really well. And six months in, I'm like, I got to move it the hell out of my house. Like I didn't want to see, and that's another thing. I didn't want him to see my relationship with my mom too much. Cause I was like, he might run away. Like mm. I need to get out of, I need to get out of this house. So I'm like, look, I'm going to go rent an apartment still in Mississauga. Like there's a, a smaller town still where my mom was very close because I just, as much as when I came back to my mom, I kind of felt sorry for her a little bit. So I was like, I don't want to leave her because I knew she was all alone. And I was like, I'll be close, but we just can't live together. So he moved in with me then. And then it was just like him and I like drinking buddies sort of thing, right? Like we're late in our twenties. We both had jobs and we do like the more sophisticated drinking buddies where we would go to bars and then have some drinks together at night. And it wasn't like hard, hard, but we still did a lot. But even then I, I caught on and he would say like, you drink a lot more than me sometimes. And I'm like, whatever, like, Oh God, whatever. You know, like I kind of be like, you drink too sometimes and you drink too. So was he, was he concerned about it or just making an observation? Then it was just sort of an observation then sort of was observation because he did it too. And again, we were, we were both sort of on the same page. So then I did some traveling sort of by myself then. And when I, Like I went to India by myself for two weeks, did like a yoga retreat. It was like ashram kind of thing. So there was no drinking there. Like it was in Rishikesh. So this is a part of India where there is no alcohol. There's no meat. There's nothing. You can't even find it, even if you wanted it. 
So I thought this was in a part of me thought, you know what, I'm going to do this. I need this. Maybe I am drinking a little bit too much. Maybe it's good just to do like a cleanse. Right. And then I'll never, I'm not stopping this forever, but well, like part of that tour trip kind of thing, you go to Rishikesh and then you got to go, like, you don't just get off the plane. It's from Delhi to there. It's all these different kind of things. And as soon as I got back from half that, like in Delhi, I don't know, I had a, a, like a hotel and I, I found a way to get drinks and I Mm -hmm. got ship based in the hotel by myself. And I thought then, like, I remember being pretty hungover and like in the back of a tour car with like two guys that just speak, you know, that was a bad hangover. And I was like, why did I do that? I remember thinking back, like, even after the trip, I'm like, I had such a good trip without drinking. Why did I have to do that? And I, I did. Like, I just found a way to do it. And I think too, it's almost like, and I've heard this a bit when I've just been listening to stuff, it's almost like when you can't have it, you want it more, right? If you tell yourself you can't, there's a part of you that goes, you want it more, if that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. I I completely, absolutely clicks with me. I don't understand. I don't understand that either. You know, there's, I mean, there can be so many reasons. Did you, like, did you feel like you let yourself down or were you, you know, you said that you had questioned it. Were there any other feelings that kind of accompanied that? I I sort of, and I was like, crap, I I screwed this day feeling, feeling like shit. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, I was feeling so good. And like, I didn't make myself a promise that I wasn't going to drink. It was almost like when I got there, we can't drink. Oh, maybe this is what I need. Maybe God's giving me some kind of like sign to, you know, not. And, and I, and I still found a way to do it. So I came back and, but a month later I came back, I got pregnant with my son. Um, I always make a joke to my ex or whatever, that he wanted to keep me, didn't want me going anywhere. So he, uh, just kidding. That's just a joke. He was a very lovely surprise. (laughs) We weren't expecting it, but we were, we were, we were pretty solid like him and I then like we knew and we always said like, you know, if this were to happen and we're, we're in our late twenties and like, you know, if this were to happen, it happens and we're ready now kind of thing. Like it was not like, Oh my God, like we were pretty like, Oh my God, like I still had a few more plans and we weren't super ready, but we kind of knew what we were, we were doing. And then, then we got engaged and I was pregnant and then we moved into a house Oh, and the, I missed this kind of part right after I kind of back from India, right, right around when I was about pregnant. My mom was actually diagnosed with um, dementia, like Alzheimer's, a mix of sort of both. Um, she had not been like sort of paying her bills and she had been super forgetful. Like we kind of figure something. My sister is a little bit more close because I try to like, again, I was in this relationship and I sort of try to distance myself from my mom and I kind of regretted that a little bit after, but it was super toxic. Right. So that was just kind of how I, how I handled that. But yeah. So then she started living with my sister. We had to sell the house that was all traumatic. So all these things were sort of happening like super fast. Like my mom started getting sick. I got into this relationship that was about, well, we were about a year. Then we bought a house that was something because I was pregnant and that's what you have to do. You have to get a place where you put your baby. Yeah. (laughs) And then I had my son and it was just, it was a lot at once. So that was the longest streak that I had been sober was when I was pregnant. (laughs) And then I had my son and it's like, I was one of those, those moms. that's like, Oh, you know, you're going to have a drink for me as soon as this baby's pushed out. And you hear it's like a thing, right? You know, as soon as baby's out, I'm going to have, you know, mimosas or something that morning. Right. You know, we hear people talk about like mommy wine culture all the time and yes, 
and it's you know like not there's this like not i say this not to diminish the work of mothers by any stretch but it's just it's like the perversion of it like like we deserve like you know for having a kid and and just like doing being a parent you deserve this and that's i mean that's just such a i don't know it's just such a shitty toxic thing that society has has put out it is it is it's everywhere like really it's mommy wine o'clock and these mom groups that get together and have drinks and you know like that's just it was a thing and i think like that was like my son was pretty he was a hard baby he wasn't really good with sleeping so that was i mean no some babies aren't really but he was he was he was a really really hard sleeper so he you know it was it was tough and i think i was going through some postpartum too maybe undiagnosed again it wasn't really talked about too much um but he was super hard so again that was my way of rewarding myself right like i had a really hard day with him all day i'm gonna have wine with dinner and that would turn into a bottle right and then again like the weeknights and then mat leave you know you don't have to work so like and then babies do sleep during the day so i'd have my like nap during the day with him right like i was super good mom but you know when that baby went to sleep at night like i was i was entitled I had a hard day and that's just what I'm doing. And, you know, my ex at the time, like was, he never really said no. Like he was like, Oh, okay. Like that's what you need. And he was kind of like, don't, don't poke the bear. She's tired. She's a mom, you know, (laughs) do whatever she needs to do to, to get by. But then like my mom started getting much worse. Like she got sicker and she was living with my sister again at the time. And my sister started to say, you know, you got to start taking mom because we, it's a little bit of a difficult process to have her into a home for more care. So she's like, Mm -hmm. you need to start taking mom, you know, like you need to start caregiving for her. And, and I was like, Oh God, like, how am I going to do this with my, you know, and she needed a lot of care. Like you need, she needed supervision a lot. And I did it for a bit. And that was really hard. I was losing my mom. Like she had no idea who I was like Mm. that alone was where I feel like drinking really picked up for me because to be around my mom was so hard. And I'd almost have a couple drinks to be around my mom. When my mom started getting sicker, that's when I started to drink a lot more. That's tough. I've never, never had to deal with that. And I'm, and I'm sorry that you had to go through that. I just, I imagine just from everything I've heard, what a, what a, a tough thing to try to, to cope with. And again, you know, like you said, you, you, you had this tool that's, that has worked. It's worked through these other difficult times that you've had in your life. And I think it's natural that if, you know, unless we're actively seeking other coping mechanisms and and ways to deal with this, it's natural to go to that. And then, I mean, to have a tumultuous relationship with her even before that, and then to care with her when she's, you know, through such a tough time, that's hard. Yeah. Like she'd sort of come in and out. Right. So it was, it was almost like looking back, it was God's way of kind of, you know, healing our relationship in a sense, because she would, like, I have really good memories of my mom when I was really small, right? It was almost like that person came back out and the person that wasn't that big monster, she was gone. Mm -hmm. And that I had a hard time working through, like, who is this person? You know, it sounds really strange, but like, I was kind of going, you know, my ex, my ex wasn't around for a lot of the other stuff. So he'd be like, you know, you you have this hard feeling about your mom sometimes, but like, I don't see it. And I'm like, you you didn't know my mom. Like, (laughs) this is real weird for me. Like she's, I love it. Like it it took me a lot of time to process that. Like, I'm really grateful for that. And I accepted it. I was so happy that I got 
a nice mom for a chunk of the time. Tough to reconcile those hard times though. Yeah. I mean, I, I did. It took some time. And again, it's just like, she, she wasn't that person anymore. Right. Like that's what I had to think. And, and yeah, so there was, there was that and then caregiving for her and then my son. And then again, it was always weekends. Like, so weekends I'd be like, had a hard week. I survived the week. I'm going to get shit faced for the night. And then I would sort of, and then again, I was not good with hangovers. So my ex would be waking up with the baby in the morning and kind of like till about nine 30, 10, where my son used to wake up at five in the morning and I'd right. come downstairs at like nine 30 and he, and I'd be a little bit hungover and he'd be like, you know, I've been doing this like by myself here. And I'm like, <laughs> And I get it. Like, yeah, I was like, well, you know, you're working all week and I'm with him and I justify it and say, well, I, you know, but really if I wasn't drinking, I'd be up with them. I would be with them and I would have that family time. But that, that was a big, that took, that took a weight on him. And then I kind of slowed down here and there. And then I had my daughter and then, yeah, then my mom again got sicker. And then Again, it was just the motions, right? With my kids. And then I had a job that I didn't like and then kind of left that. And I was always miserable. And then again, I was doing jobs or I was commuting. So I was commuting. And then it was just super, super, super stressful. Like two small kids and I didn't have any help. Like my dad had passed away. I don't have my mom. My ex's parents lived like two hours away. And it was just like, it was, a. I just feel like it was just a shit show during that time. We were both really stressed out. We weren't connecting him and I at all then the monster would come out during the weekend. This was the big thing. Like I would be, you know, stressed the hell out. All this crap would be going on with my mom. And then I have some drinks and then the crazy bitch would come out. And oh, I yeah. would be, like say whatever, you know, the yeah. worst, the worst crap I would say to him. And he would take a lot of it until he just eventually started fighting back. Like we both would be, it was basically like I was reliving my childhood, not yeah. even seeing like, and my kids were kind of going through that. And then again, it would come a week and then I wouldn't do it as much. And then we both completely just checked out of the marriage, like completely, like my weekends were. And then what I started to do, like the kids would go to bed and he wouldn't want anything to do with me because the fight we had the weekend before he'd be on his phone. And then I take off, I take an Uber and go to the bar mm-hmm. and I would go dancing. My thing was dancing. I love to dance. You never dance with me. I need to escape. And he would not even care. Like that was the kind of hard part. Like he would just be like, see ya. I don't give a crap. I don't want to be around you anyway. And I took that to heart. Like you should like me at any way. And I remember him saying to me one time, you know, I, I just like when you're not drunk, like, you know, I like you who you are when you're, when you're sober, just you Jess. And I'm like, I remember thinking like, I don't even know who that person is. I don't even know. I don't want to know who that person is. That person sucks. That person's not fun and easygoing. And, but really like, especially these past few months I have, I, I, I am kind of sort of (laughs) anyway. So we both sort of checked out. I was going to bar a lot. I was blowing a ton of money, come home super late again, pull the whole, like I'm sleeping till 10, 11 and he'd be with the kids and then we lost our, then, then something was going on with our conferences. Like I knew I was, I knew that I was spending a lot of money and he kind of be like, well, we can't pay the mortgage and da, da, da. And I'm like, what, like what's going on? Cause I worked in accounting and I let him deal with the bills. And then he's like, we need to sell. We just need to downsize. And I was like, okay, I guess. And this is what we have to do. And, and I, I had a feeling when we sold this house that we were going to, we were going to separate. 
Like this was our time to say, you know what, let's just, let's just part our ways here. So we actually ended up renting a place. He talked about it. We both sort of talked about maybe it's a time for us to just do separate, but then he kind of came with us. And then we had a huge, huge argument at the new place, huge argument. I hadn't been drinking and then he left and that was it. Like, so we, we basically stopped there. He went to live with his dad and the day after he left, I went through sort of our savings and he had blown like 20 grand online gambling. So, um, both of us were pretty freaking messed up. <laughs> we both checked out. Relationships are tough. It's, it's hard. And I think, I think a lot of times we end up, uh, again, like again with drinking, like we it's, there's a huge aspect of like self-preservation and trying to protect ourselves and, and our brain wants to keep this coping mechanism safe. You know, you had mentioned not, you know, not liking the sober Jess, you know, he, that's what, that's all he wanted. And, and you didn't like her. And I, Mm-mm. and I just believe that there's probably a part there that, uh, you know, some fear of, well, if I'm sober, then I can't drink and drinking is how I know how to get through things. And it's, I, I, I know, at least for me, it was just absolutely terrifying to think of like, what in the hell would this look like with, without it. And it just, I didn't invest too much thought into that because it just scared the shit out of me. And, and I would be belligerent and protect, protect that drinking at all costs, even at, you know, again, I got, even at the cost of my relationship. So I feel you, Jess. Yes. Yeah. I was, I was really, you, you say that you're sort of afraid. Like I was afraid, like I'd have to deal with all these emotions and I don't want to, and you don't have to, when you drink, like you just don't think about it. And then the problem's still there the next day, clearly. <laughs> So yeah, we had, um, we'd separated and then that was October before COVID ish is like a blur. Yeah. (laughs) Honestly, like I can't even think about some dates, but that was October four months later, COVID hit. So I had been like basically a single mom. He had been sort of doing thing coming here and there, but then he was living in like two hours away, seeing the kids one day a week. And then that was really, really difficult. I'd only have drinks sort of when the kids would go to bed and I wouldn't drink too, too much, but then he would start taking them for weekends. And that's when I would, that's when I saved it all up. (laughs) I saved it all up. And then they'd be gone for a full weekend. It was just me and my booze. Nobody's going to bug me. No one's going to see me, especially during COVID. No one's going to come. Who's going to come? Nobody can't come anyways. So I'm just like, just me. And my, I used to call it like my toxic new boyfriend. I didn't ever date anybody. I was just like, you know, me and my boyfriend booze. That's it. Here we go. Every second weekend. And yeah, that was basically how sort of COVID played out. That was basically how COVID played out. We've got a little bit of time left. Let's, let's walk up to up until uh, a couple months ago. Like Mm -hmm. what kind of led you to, into this like recovery recovery side. And then let's dip into like what the past 60 days have looked like. I would say just again, like what led me to this was just the hangovers. Again, I talk about the hangovers, but it almost became worse and I hadn't been drinking more. So I don't know if my body was telling me something or what, like hardcore, like heart palpitations. That's probably serious anxiety. Just my body, like 
super dizziness. Like I walk my kids to school and I'd have like, you know, a bottle of wine to some, maybe that's not a lot for me. It never used to be that much, but I'd be walking the kids to school and I'd have like almost lightheadedness where I'd like almost want to pass out. And I'd be like thinking to myself, holy crap, what if I like actually just dropped here in front of the school, like all for this, like some, my body's not telling me something like this is messed up. This is what my kids would remember. This is how my kids are going to remember me, you know, even just the drinking too, that really hit me in front of my kids, you know, where I didn't want my kids to see that. Right. I didn't want to see me. I mean, I wasn't really, I was never mean with my kids or anything like that. It was just, I was that, you know, they knew mommy, your breath smells, you know, your breath smells. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. And then I remember just little things they catch on, right. They know more than you, you think. So it was sort of that. And then, yeah, just, just for my kids. And again, just like waking up the one time I had, didn't have the kids. I woke up on like a Sunday and I like, this is super gross, but like I, I got up and I like, couldn't make it to the bathroom and I like all over. It was on the carpet just a little bit, but enough for me to go, Oh my God, like this, look what I'm doing. And having to clean that up and be like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I'm like, God is giving me some sign. Like, I don't know. But like after that day, I was like, that's it. I got to try to, to do something. So there's actually like a online, like zoom. Mm-hmm. And I just like logged in one day, kind of like this. And I was like, hi. <laughs> and I just started crying and it was the most welcoming, like, cause I think there's so much shame attached to this. There's so much. And I don't know what, like, getting further into this, like it's, you know, oh, you're an alcoholic. Like that seems so, I don't know. There's just such a shame to, if that makes, you know. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think it's going to make sense to a lot of listeners too, that we, part of the, I think part of the reason we stay in it for so long is like, what does this mean about me? If, if I say this. Yeah. And, And it just, it, it keeps us from coming to a place of saying, I I need some help, but like, how did that, how did it feel to, to just, to say like, Hey, this is, this is where I'm at. And, and, and I do like, I need help. Oh my God. It was such a real, it was so scary. And it was so scary. Like, I was just like, these people are going to think of me. What if there's somebody I know on this? And then I'm like, wait a second. If someone that I know is on that, then it means they're like me. So it's like, my mind started going all over the place. And then I was like, after I did that and they were so welcoming and they're just to connect with other people that really are like you, it was such a relief. Oh my God. I was like, I can do this. And like the first couple of weeks, oh my God they were so damn hard. Like I was counting hours. I was counting minutes to the point where I was like, okay, I can't do this. Like I got to stay busy. I got to stay busy. And then it just like started to really get easier. Like it just, it doesn't seem like it is. And it it does get easier. <laughs> Before we go into the rapid fire round, can you just tell me about uh, like a couple, a couple like breakthrough moments or, or like, or wins that you've had in the last couple of months, like, how has it, how has it felt? You know, like we, like we know, like we, we all know about those tough times. You know, what are, you know, what, like, what are some things that have stood out to you as, as big positives? Um, just being like super present with my kids, really present with my kids, like really listening, really being in the moment, not foggy, not 
yeah, whatever kind of, oh yeah, that's cool. And, you know, just totally in the moment. And again, just not being, you know, being more patient with them. And like, for example, I did this, this camping thing that I'm doing this weekend. I did it alone like a couple weekends ago and just feeling life, like feeling life without booze. Like I always thought booze makes this like the paddleboard cooler, but you're actually, it, it fogged it. It really fogged it. And it only took being sober for this long for me to see that. And it's hard to feel like that if you're always drunk, right? You just yeah. don't get that chance to actually feel normal, if that makes sense. Yeah. Things are a lot more, life is just more, I don't know, it's tangible. It's less, it can, it removes the fuzz. Yeah. Jess, I love it. We are at the rapid fire round. In 30 to 60 seconds. Jess, are you ready? Yep. All right. What was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking? Not being like social enough, maybe not um, being as extroverted, social anxiety kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is a positive that you didn't expect in a life without alcohol? But I'm starting to like myself a little bit more. Like I never thought it's coming. I'm getting there. I like me. <laughs> I love that so much. It's so important. That's amazing. I, I like it. What is your go-to alcohol-free drink? I really like coffee. That's a big thing. All kinds of coffee. Cold coffee. Coffee's, coffee's good. <laughs> <laughs> coffee, solid choice. Uh, what is your plan on sobriety moving forward? Like years and years. I can't ever say, you know, they always say, you can't really say forever, but I can. That's my goal. Like, I just don't ever want to do that again. So that's my, and to be like you guys, I want to have, you know, 10, 15 years and under my belt. That'd be good. One day at a time. That sounds so cliche, but it's, but I also <laughs> think it's true. What is your favorite resource in recovery? Whether it's a, a book, an app, a meeting, a program, a group, anything like that. Lately, the Recovery Elevator podcast, for sure. Yeah, that's been my favorite. Shout out, Ari. What's happening? <laughs> uh, what is a technique that you use when you find yourself with a craving? I have a sponsor, so sometimes I'll just send her a quick text. Sometimes, like, I've got this app, too, that just counts my days, and I just look at how far I've come. And if you've heard this before, people say this, like, replay the tape. I replay my tape and I'm like, okay, no, don't want to do that. I feel good today. Uh, and what parting piece of guidance can you give our listeners who are either in recovery or thinking about getting sober? It gets easier. It does get easier. Every day, get, some days are going to be hard, but I mean, nothing that booze won't make harder. That's what my sponsor tells me. There's not any problem that booze won't make worse. It gets easier. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite, you might need to ditch the booze if line? God, I've said this word a million times so far, but like if your hangovers and if you have hangovers and you want to die, <laughs> like <laughs> your hangovers are, are basically or your, your, what I used to do also is just plan, plan around hangovers. If you're kind of planning your day around, oh, I'm going to feel like crap that day can't do it so that kind of stuff if you're planning your life around booze then i think that's a good call <laughs> yeah if you're scheduling or unscheduling things because you're gonna feel like total dog shit oh, <laughs> take a look at it i don't know it's no judgment but maybe take take a look yes huge huge congratulations again to you on two months 
crazy proud of you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. Recovery Elevator, thanks for listening. And thank you, Jess, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Like Paul said, a couple days after this podcast comes out, we will be starting our annual retreat out in Bozeman. I've been looking forward to this event all summer, and I cannot wait to see some of you there. Keep an eye on our Instagram this week for some behind-the-scenes footage of the event. We like to share these events to show what a life without alcohol can look like. Now, to be fair, not every day of my recovery has looked like sober summer camp. That's not what we're saying. But in other ways, I've been able to take the things that we do at these events and make them a part of my day-to-day. I've learned how to have real conversations and get past the surface-level stuff. I've learned to open up to people. I've learned how to listen and how to support someone who's struggling. I've also learned how to lighten up and not take myself so serious and to have a little bit of fun. The first sober meetup I went to showed me that people in recovery can have a ton of fun, make deep connections, and show up for each other. I'm able to take parts from these events home with me, and it continues to help me grow. I also understand that not everyone can make it. It's an investment, not just financially, but time as well. No one is any better or any worse for their decision to go or not. I want to encourage you to find your version of this and to try it out. Find some folks who are willing to go deeper and try to spend some meaningful time with them. That could be lunch and a hike, a game night at someone's house or even over Zoom. It could be a fun overnight trip or even just a cup of coffee and a chat. Plan something fun and try to work some conversation into it to take it a little bit deeper. It doesn't have to look the same to have an impact. Challenge yourself to take that next step and let us know how it goes. Recovery Elevator It all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. Stopping it.